It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hope you're all doing well out in the world, being safe, taking care of yourself. We're still going to talk about the Bengals on this podcast. Try to give you a little bit of a distraction, is what I was trying to say there, from, I don't know. I don't know what you have going on, but if you need a distraction or you just want to talk about the Bengals, that's what we're here for. This will be my second time today, Joe, talking about the Bengals. I went on Mo Egger's show earlier. Mm, how was that? He felt bad that he keeps having you on and hasn't asked me to be on for a while, so he he finally invited me on. <laughs> Mo's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's good at what he does. He's good at carrying the conversation. And, and So how'd it go with you? How do you feel you did? Oh, great. I, I've been on with Mo in the past. This was more conversation. Like, in the past, I was on in, in the context of being a PFF analyst. Yeah, that's right. And this was more like, let's just, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's express opinions. I guess because I have more credibility as as someone who has opinions about football now than than then, whereas then I was a, a mouthpiece for PFF yeah. stats. You were uh, a data data gatherer and translator. Now you actually can speak your mind. Yeah, it's great. That's so. Tough. Anything controversial or anything come up that you uh, had to take a stand on or a take? Uh, no, I mean you know me. I'm I'm very nuanced about most things. Um, there, I think three times I said, if I wanted to be cynical, I could say this, but I don't want to be cynical. Uh, you know, talking about the offensive line, talking about the guys they've signed. And we're going to get into that, actually, in this mm-hmm. show. Uh, we're going to talk about what would the cynical take be of the Bengals offseason? What, what's the, the, out, the, the positive outlook? Because that's, I think, where we are right now is generally on the positive side. So we'll talk about that a little later. The one thing that really got me, though, was Mo's like, what do you do with Joe Mixon? I'm like, man, I, I do not have a good answer for what to do with running backs in the NFL from a team. I mean, and, and we've talked about it from a team building perspective. You don't pay running backs from a running backs or people to perspective. Right. Running backs deserve to be paid. Yeah. And, and you look at the biggest deal signed this offseason by Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon and, and Todd Gurley who got released. Well, maybe now Joe Mixon takes eight million dollars, but that's all. Who knows? Right. Who knows what Joe Mixon is thinking? And yep. then, and with all this COVID uncertainty, I, I that's got to, I don't know, maybe it doesn't change perspective. Maybe, maybe it does. I don't know, but we're going to start the show. Joe, yesterday we talked about Andy Dalton, what the Bengals are going to do with him. There are no more suitors for Andy Dalton. Today we're going to talk about the other crowded room 
on this Bengals roster, and that is cornerback where Dre Kirkpatrick is still at a roster with a pretty heavy cap hit. What are the options there? Let's get into that first before we talk about the cynical and positive outlooks on this Bengals offseason. One small piece of signing news that we should probably get to that we haven't discussed on this lead story yet is that the Bengals signed Mike Thomas. He formerly played for the Rams, was one of Joe's favorite draft prospects and one of Joe's biggest draft misses. He ended up being a sixth round pick, has been a special teamer for the most part and not one that's graded particularly well from PFF, but he will join the back of the Bengals wide receiver room and they are without some of their top special teamers from last year, particularly with Clayton Fedulim departing. Joe, do you see any other reason for this signing? No, other than he'll compete with Stanley Morgan for the last spot. You know, and maybe we talked about this on yesterday's podcast. If they potentially go to that increased roster size, how do you do that? How do you handle those other two spots? Are they special teamers? Are they another receiver? Is it another corner? So maybe that's how you get seven receivers on this team. Even if it is six, I think he has a chance to beat out Stanley Morgan Jr. Even though Morgan was really good on special teams, I still think there's upside in Mike Thomas. I had a first-round grade on him. He went in the sixth round. It sounds crazy, I know, uh, but I've hit on some of those guys before doing this, and I still think he can play and help the Bengals in some capacity and that was a question of athleticism for him mostly right you ignored the athletic testing and that's a lesson learned yeah for sure then that's why when I started to do that I mean on tape when you watch him you're like yeah he's great um he's dominating the tape looks good and then he wasn't invited to the combine that should have set off a flag there typically those guys don't get drafted very highly and then he didn't run his 40 even at his pro day lets you know there that he was probably trying to hide something whenever someone doesn't run something in the pre-draft process you can chalk it up as a negative, I think, at that point. And I think you could say that this year about Tyler Johnson, the slot receiver from Minnesota, who some have as a first-round pick and others have as a fifth, sixth-round pick. Regardless of all that, let's get on to the Drake Kirkpatrick topic of conversation. $11 million he's owed. The Bengals currently have a $36 million cap allocation for cornerbacks for 2020. That is the top of the league. Now, they have redundant players as well. Drake Kirkpatrick, Trey Waynes, William Jackson, all guys that you would expect to play outside. None of those are guys that you really think can make the transition to safety. What's got to give here, Joe? It's tough. I think, obviously, we can say that Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander are going to make this team due to age and newly signing. But I do think it brings into some question of if they keep Drake Kirkpatrick, even for the time being, can they restructure his contract? Can they save some money there? Can they relegate him to a backup or a competition level to where he's competing with Darius Phillips as the first guy off the bench? Drake Kirkpatrick was a really good special teams guy, especially on punt gunning situations back before he became a starter. Is that a role for him? Is he okay with that? It seems like many in the organization like him. He seems like he likes being a Cincinnati Bengal but at the end of the day, do you have to play? Do you have to be a starter? Is this something that you, you want more out of? Or is, are you okay competing for every snap you get? But I also think it, it brings into question William Jackson and his future. Can they get a deal done? Do they want to get a deal done? Do they want him to see do they want to see him play much better? I think everybody does. And if he can, I think an extension would be on the way there. And I think if that happened, it would def- definitely seal the door shut for Drake or Patrick. And you got to wonder if this is a Brandon LaFell, George Iloka situation where they go into camp, 
Everyone stays healthy at corner, and that's when you move on from Drake Kirkpatrick. So currently under contract, just to review, for the Bengals at corner, Trey Waynes, Drake Kirkpatrick, William Jackson, Darius Phillips, Tony Brown, Mackenzie Alexander, Winston Rose, who came from the CFL, and Torrey McTire. So that's eight guys in the cornerback room. Only a couple of them can probably play the slot very consistently, and that's Mackenzie Alexander and maybe Darius Phillips, who has played there, probably could play there. But you can't go into the season with this many outside corners. Something's got to give, especially at the top of the roster where all that money's concentrated in three guys. And I think there's still a need long-term at corner, right? A lot of these guys have one year, maybe two left. Kirkpatrick has two, William Jackson with one, Mackenzie Alexander was a one-year deal. You could still draft a corner in a top-heavy draft and still come away with a foundational piece for the future. So short-term questions remain. Fitting it in with a long-term plan is something that this front office will have to figure out. But right now, they've got over $30 million in three guys that play the same position, and only two of them can be on the field at any one time. So a bit of a puzzle for Duke Tobin and the Spengals front office. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we want to look at this Bengals free agency, this unprecedented free free agents um, period for the Bengals where they spent a lot of money and they were active. They got a tier one player, Jake. All of the good things, but... As we sit, and free agency was weird this year, definitely. I think we will agree on that. But I even saw a a tweet today that really set it in because I think we've alluded to it. But Ian Rappaport said, um, as free agency is dwindling down or as, uh, you know, late in free agency, this guy signs. And I'm like, yeah, man, we're a week into this thing. And we're talking wave three guys. Teams went out and picked exactly who they wanted and, like, got out of there as quick as possible. Like, anyone that needs a physical or there's any questions on, they're not even touching them right now. I don't know when Tyler Eifert's going to get signed. My point is, though, as you sit here, the Bengals went out. They they got some guys. Um, I would say my first argument on the negative side is that they didn't address the two biggest needs, offensive line and linebacker. Instead, they spent a little bit of money at two of their stronger position groups, which is defensive line and maybe even in specific defensive tackle. And I'm including where they were last year with Andrew Billings. You could have potentially kept him. But at corner, I felt like even with the injuries last year, they kept their head above water. And, and yeah, they went out and got two guys. But did they get better? So those are my – to start, that's top-level criticism, is they didn't address their needs. And even looking at the positions they signed, could they have... So here's how they could have done it differently. And I know it takes two to tango, but just just looking at the money, they could have signed Byron Jones for an average of $16.5 million per year and gotten a much better player for $2.5 million more per year than Trey Wings. Instead of giving DJ Reader $13.5 million per year, whatever it is, they could have brought back Andrew Billings, apparently, for $4 million. Say Denard is gone, Mackenzie Alexander is your $4 million corner, you're still saving 
what, $8 million compared to what they spent. Mm-hmm. So Xavier Suofilo aside, because that move actually saves money. And we'll get to this later. The Bengals think this is an upgrade. So this is a problem in and of itself. But you take that $8 million, you're still pretty well under the cap at this point. Then you sign your linebacker and, and you give uh, Corey Littleton an offer that he can't turn down. Because it's not at that point, you have the money. It's not that hard to beat out the Rams' offer. So right. you still have a nose tackle that is better than average, in our opinion, in this scenario with Andrew Billings. You've got a better corner than they ended up with. You have the same slot guy, which is fine, whatever. Maybe it's Brian Poole. Maybe, maybe whatever. But we're not upset about Mackenzie Alexander at that, at that salary number, although he wasn't the best slot corner available. And they couldn't get Denard back, even in this alternate scenario, because he wanted to play outside. So you have a better, better corner, a little bit worse at nose tackle. You have Littleton now, and everyone's happy. You, you haven't addressed guard. That's the one thing. And, 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 and there's no real way around that. The Bengals feel better about their offensive line than they should and than we do. And I, I, I think we just kind of have to accept that. They might not be in on a guard on, until day three. And it might just right. be we're going to roll this out there again. And they may not be able to get a linebacker until round three. And they may just roll with what they have and just not value the position. And have they? You know, it's kind of a, an argument that maybe they just haven't valued it. But, you know, I think the Nick Kwiatkowski deal, and when you're talking about saving a few here or there, adding a million or a million and a half, two million, whatever it would have taken to get a linebacker like that on day one um, would have been valuable. It would have eliminated the need to force a linebacker pick maybe a little bit earlier than they than they should. Uh, we we do these mock drafts and they're not always exactly correct, but third round and fourth round linebacker feel very similar when we get there. And are they going to force it to pick a guy in the third round? And we're going to be sitting there in the fourth, like, you know, did you have to do that? We, I, you talk to any of the writers or beat writers and they say, well, don't one of those first three picks have to be a linebacker. Now that's exactly the scenario I would like to avoid in free agency. I don't want to have to take a guard. I don't want to have to take a linebacker. I want the board to fall to me and allow me to take the the best player and make those decisions accordingly, not forced into, into taking those. Um, so in terms of not filling your needs, it has a direct impact on how you draft, and I don't like that. It, it's, a, it's a double whammy there because you could potentially, and they have in the past, draft worse because they let needs boil over from free agency. So my point number two is, I'm not sure they got much better at corner and in in outside corner and nickel corner, uh, just in terms of coverage. And the areas that Darquez Denard was really good in the slot was he was very clean, very low on penalties, very low on missed tackles. He's one of the best tacklers, if not the best tackler in the secondary last year and probably for the last few years. Um, Mackenzie Alexander, those are the things you're going to, a lot of people are going to tell. Didn't have a missed tackle, didn't have a penalty. Well, I mean, Dark West and I was right behind him in, in those categories. And so what are you getting better at? You're getting a little bit quicker. And then on the boundary corner, if you watch Trey Waynes on film and just watch his coverage snaps, he looks like Drake or Patrick in a lot of ways. He's got more speed, which is valuable. I want more speed on this defense. You need more speed on this defense. So that is a good thing. And he's a better tackler, and you'll hear that. So those are upgrades. But is that worth the amount of money you pay in free agency to have that? I mean, what if we're going to value – a skill set at corner, where does speed and tackling come in? And speed will probably be in a few, but is tackling? It would probably come behind a lot of, um, you know, 
athletic ability in terms of mirroring, agility, change of direction, uh, ball skills, technique, and then maybe speed and tackling. So I think it's down on the totem pole of upgrades. Yeah, I, I don't see either of those moves as significant upgrades. I think Mackenzie Alexander in a pretty good case outcome, maybe the average to average plus case, is a side grade from Dark Westenard. They have the same strengths. He's a little mm. bit smaller, which we should note. I mean, I don't know how much of a an issue that's going to be in the AFC North, the way that these teams tend to build their offensive lines and running games, and especially with Baltimore. Looks like Pittsburgh wants to go run heavy with with their personnel, with the strengths and weaknesses of that team right now. So how is that going to play with his with his size? I will say that I, I watched some Trey Waynes today, and yeah, he has issues with double moves. But when he can keep mm-hmm. the ball in front of him, he, he can hit, especially for a guy his size. He's very willing to come down and play in the run game in a way that Drake Kirkpatrick did not. And this is supposed to be the, the cynical negative side, so uh, I'll try not to stray too far into our next segment. But, uh, yeah, so I watched against, uh, against the Chiefs. And, man, Tyreek Hill absolutely cooks Trey Waynes. And Tyreek Hill is going to do that to a lot of corners. I understand that, but... It's it's not with dead speed. It's double moves. It's it's mm. little subtle. You know, I'm I'm gonna run a streak, but I'm gonna run. I'm gonna take two steps in, and then I'm gonna take two steps out at the top of the route. Yep. And and you're gonna try to turn, and you're gonna go wide. And my speed he, is and, and and so yeah, he can't cover Tyree Kill. And you can see that in in his testing, his change of direction isn't yeah, great. Just, so anytime you make him take more steps, that's a, he's losing ground. It's exactly what Arif said when he was on Arif Hassan from the Athletic. He's like he takes speed turns. He doesn't make small adjustments. He relies on closing speed, and he has closing speed. But mm-hmm. PFF has this thing with with him too, where they say he's better in man than zone, and they think he's going to play more man in Cincinnati. And from a skill set, that's a little surprising to me, actually. Uh, that he would and, be better in, in zone than in man than zone because he's actually I, there's some hi- sorry I'm just gonna make one last point <laughs> he, you, there's some highlights of him coming off of routes and and then having that recognition in zone yeah and I agree normally those guys that like to hit are good in zone and you keep them from changing directions mm-hmm. I will also say there is some worry of leaving Mike Zimmer and how Zimmer got our defensive backs in Cincinnati playing above and getting them to tackle. Remember this? I mean, like Terrence Newman wouldn't tackle when Zimmer left Dallas, comes to Cincinnati, can tackle. Yep. Pac-Man was tackling with a small frame. Um, Leon Hall was always a tackler, but it helped that Zimmer was there. Zimmer goes to Minnesota, and all of a sudden Terrence Newman can tackle again after he won a tackle of the year in, in Cincinnati. He makes those guys. He forced them. Deion Sanders has talked about it. He is on you and making sure you're playing because if you're not, you're on the bench. So you're giving it your all or not. I hope that same energy wasn't – I hope that energy carries Cincinnati yeah. for Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander because if you look at Mackenzie Alexander in previous years – he missed some tackles. He was a bad tackler a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for whatever reason, he had a really good tackling year. Does that mean he's a good tackler? I know Darquez Denard's a good tackler. Yep. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that's a flash in the pan for Alexander. For Trey Waynes, I'm less less concerned about it, to be honest, because he has swagger. When he hits you, he's happy about it. Like He likes hitting, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched enough of Mackenzie Alexander to say what his body language tells me about how he feels about hitting. Uh, but for Trey Waynes, I'm, I'm not really worried about it. For Trey Waynes, it's just a ball skills issue. 
there are times when he can find the ball, but uh, often he's playing the receiver and he does a pretty good job of it to his credit. Uh, but, but that'll also get you into trouble uh, when you're, when you're trying to play the receiver in certain situations. And I feel like we've talked about that. Then have we talked about how DJ readers just a nose tackle and if he's only on the field for two snaps or sorry, the first two downs for rundowns in the base only. Well, how, how impactful is that $13 million that you spent? Is, is, is that actually making a difference? He's definitely an upgrade in the running game. Don't go, don't get me wrong. He does not lose to people not named Quentin Nelson very often. He's very, very good, but he's a nose tackle. Right. I put on the game from 2017, the Thursday night game had to be week two Bengals. Um, Texans at Bengals. Remember that one? That's what fired Bill. No, that's what fired Ken Zampezi. Mm. If you remember that game, um, DJ Reader. I grabbed all his highlights, all the plays he was involved in. PFF said he had two pressures. I didn't see it. And now maybe it was like vicinity type pressures, uh, but he pushed his guy backwards. And, but the thing is, all of his big plays were against the run and against the screen, which he's fantastic. And he recognizes, man, he's got some burst in him, but I'll save that for the positives. Uh, the negative with having a nose tackle that's really good is that you want him on the field as much as possible to get your value. And the Texans even did this. I talked to a Texans guy, uh, Pat Starr, if you follow him on Twitter. He says 750 snaps may be too much for DJ Reader. If you can get him down in the 650, 600 range, he started to get worn down towards the end of the year there. And even in that game I watched, obvious passing situations, third and eight plus, DJ Reader wasn't on the field. They went with more of a NASCAR package uh, that did not uh, include him. So what does that mean for the Bengals? Will they follow that? Will they do the same thing? Is he going to be part of – is he replaced by Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson? Which is, doesn't sound like a bad thing. I want better pass rushers in pass rushing situations, but you're paying him $13 million. Uh, I think Javon Hargrave, if you wanted to spend a couple million more, would have been a better pass rusher. Maybe. I think that's a fair point. And I'm ready to fight back now, so maybe we should just take a minute here, get to the positives. Who haven't we talked about? Mike Thomas doesn't move the needle. They haven't signed a linebacker. Xavier Suofilo is, I hope, just in the mix. I hope he's not going to – I mean, unless Jim Turner suddenly becomes a great offensive line coach – Man, we talk about Jim Turner a lot for a positional coach on this podcast. I don't. I don't even want to talk about this any more than that. Joe, get get thirty seconds on Xavier Suafilo, and then let's move on. Watching him, I put on the tape to see what I could find. A lot of splash plays in a positive and negative way. Um, I think he's got issues with lateral agility and secondary moves. Uh, he loses late in the snap often. So if a guy, um, does, if the quarterback doesn't get the ball out quickly and tries to hold it and make a play, Suofilo, is, that's when he's losing. So I think a well-functioning offense, you can hide him a little bit better. I will say the positive that I think is better than John Miller is that hey, he's really good. wait. What's that? Save it. Oh, okay, save it for the right for the next side. You're right, you're right. End it there, he sucks. <laughs> oh, God. That's your Joe Goodberry. We're going to be back in a second to talk about why he might not suck. And why all these moves are indicative of a new direction of new ways of business in Paul Brown Stadium. We're going to flip to the positive outlook in just a minute. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Turning to the positive side of what the Bengals have done in free agency, which I think is going to be a lot easier for us, even though we kind of sounded very comfortable uh, picking on some of those moves there. But I want to jump right back into Xavier Suofilo and finish my thought there. I, I was saying that I don't see the upgrade over John Miller. Uh, they see it that way. I think they took a risk. I would rather have both of them competing, if possible, and see who comes out of it. Uh, because I look at this roster and I don't see a starting guard on the team right now, or at least one that hasn't shown they're, they're starting. Even Suofilo has never been a consistent starter in the league since leaving the Texans. I, you know, He pretty much fell out of favor very quickly there and then became a backup. But I think the upgrade there and the potential there is that he's really efficient pulling, not only in his track, staying close to the linemen, um, hitting guys when he comes around that corner and just clears out lanes. He is an athlete. He's a former tackle, and, and he tested really well. Uh, if he gets moving, man, he kills people. And someone said he was big. You said, I think you mentioned this about Jeff Hobson calling him big. He's really not big. Uh, but I think he plays a mauling type of style that Jim Turner is definitely going to like. And if you can get him moving on those poles, those those pitch plays to Joe Mixon, I think you can. I think that's the vision here. And if that's the case, and they actually have a vision, then that's a positive. I think that that's the whole idea of the positive side of this is that there is a vision here. That there's something different than hope as a plan. They have a major issue going into this free agency period in run defense. They cannot control the line of scrimmage. They have linebackers that need to stay clean. They don't even have linebackers right now. Well, they go sign DJ Reader, and and that's exactly what he is great at. You cannot Mm -hmm. control him at the line of scrimmage. If you want to run the ball against the Bengals and DJ Reader is on the field, you have to run away from him, essentially. Because even double teams, unless you have Quentin Nelson on your team, aren't that effective against him. He's going to hold up, and he's going to show in his gap. He's that good. He is an elite run defender mm-hmm. and consistent. Very good. I mean, there is some concern. I see the, the stuff that your Houston Texans guy said where he wore down at the end of the year. He has some slippage in his grading from PFF later in the year for sure, where he started the year very strong. And I think the Bengals will look to keep him fresher. And I think that that should be good for him. And just putting him next to Geno Atkins, I mean – it's going to be very hard for teams to run between their guards, really between their tackles with those guys on the field. And I think that's yep. a huge boon to the Bengals where they have this massive hole at linebacker right now. So I absolutely love the DJ Reader signing for all those reasons. Yeah, he's a nose tackle. Yeah, he's not Javon Hargrave in terms of having some pass rush juice to him, being a two-way kind of defensive tackle. But I, I love what he does for the run defense, and it was a major issue last year. A linebacker's best friend is the nose tackle. And if he can keep them from getting that center or that guard climbing up to the second level and getting hands or at least getting in their vision, it, it destroys their, their vision. And, and that's how you end up overrunning. That's how you miss cutback lanes. You lose track of the running back. Uh, you keep that guy at the line of scrimmage, that offensive lineman with DJ Reader because he's taking on two blockers. Uh, your linebackers are going to instantly look better. Are they going to look like superstars? No, but they will look better than they have. And it was a big issue, I think, before having two six-one guys out there at, at defensive tackle. You know what's funny is right before the podcast, when we were talking about this, or right before the free agency started, 
when we were talking about who would replace Billings at nose tackle, right? And we, you look at Tupou's uh, snap count at nose tackle last year, and it was very low, 70 snaps or so at nose tackle, and more at, as a five-tech end. And, and that's when we really like had a kind of light bulb moment of, man, if they don't keep Billings, it, they may go for one of these nose tackles here. You know, who, who could it be? And we, we named like Michael Pierce or something, right? Uh, but they went and got a premium guy, a tier one guy, which is great. I mean, we couldn't have been happier as a, as a fan base, them going out and doing that and getting a nose tackle that is going to free up also Josh Tupelo, who they, it seems like, like they like him. Think of a three man defensive line and a three, four defense of reader at nose tackle Atkins at, at the tackle five tech is Tupelo with some actual size and length to him. I mean, that seems like a formidable unit to try and run against, especially if you got Dunlap and Hubbard out there at end or whoever it may be, Zach Bond and Carl Lawson, because you want to get a little more juice and pass rush or you want to string out uh, Lamar Jackson a little bit more. I've been watching that tape of uh, the Texans in 2017 versus the Bengals. They tried running away from Reader so much, it didn't matter, man. He closed gaps so quickly and stuffed Mixon. He stuffed Giovanni Bernard on short uh and short yardage plays, he was extremely hard to run at and away from. I think you make a really good point about, like, he, he has a backside pursuit. You mentioned earlier when we got a little rosy in our negative side of this, how, how good he is at chasing down screens. And, man, he he can move. I mean, he ran a 5-3-3, so it's not like he's, he's you know, who, who ran fast? Derek Brown, did he run a good 40? No, no he, he, he ran a 5-3-1, so All he's right. similar. There you go. Except DJ Reader is 347 pounds, so he has about 20 pounds on Derrick yeah. Brown. I uh, don't want don't to talk too much about Derrick Brown here. Point is, he offers a lot for a nose tackle. I, I think that if we were to have our brothers, Joe, maybe we would rather have Javon Hargrave by the narrowest of margins. And, and I think a lot of that is familiarity and the fact that it's taking him away from the Steelers. But DJ Reader will absolutely make an impact for this defense will free up Jermaine Pratt and whoever they draft to play beside him or Nick yeah. Vigil. If, if it's Nick Vigil or something, I don't know. Uh, so let's talk about the corners. The, the best thing that we can say about the corner signings, in my opinion, is they're spending big money. And this signals a huge sea level change for the way that they do business. They identified a specific trait, I think in these corners that they were after, which was, Tackling and run defense. This is something that they mm -hmm. talked about. The coaches talked about late in the year. They had to get better at tackling. They had to get better at supporting the run from the cornerback position. And we saw the huge impact that Dark Wesnar made when he came back and started playing in the slot in the run defense game specifically. So that, I think, is is the positive start. And and you add a little bit of speed. Well, a lot of speed in Trey yeah. Waynes. And, and they got beat over the top last year too much, too. Yeah, I think when you look at the crown of the AFC North and say, okay, how do we beat the Ravens? Um, we got to defend the run better. We've got to be able to tackle on the edge. We've got to get faster. Well, they did that on the defensive side so far. They've they've gotten bigger and stronger in the middle. They've gotten faster and more aggressive on the boundary. And I think those are quality traits to look for and target and attack. I'd say the best thing about them signing the two corners is that while it is a strong corner class, you don't have to take one. If you get in that situation, and I would like if they took one. I feel the same about receiver. You, you don't have to take a receiver this year. But if you do, you're probably going to get a very good player at a great value. And it might come back and look good for you. But you don't have to take a corner now. Before they signed both guys, and if they would have lost 
Denard without replacing him, say a normal Bengals free agency year, I'd be looking at 33 and say, man, you, you guys probably should take a corner. Not only will it be best player available, more than likely, if it falls that way, you probably should do it because I don't trust Drake or Patrick. I would like Darius Phillips to play, but let's be honest, he's only played a handful of games in a starting role, and then the nickel spot would be wide open. And with William Jackson on his fifth-year option, going to be a free agent in 2021, I would say go out and make sure you get one. You can't go, and I would say before linebacker, draft a corner because I value that position. So now they've relaxed that. That's exactly how I want free agency to go. And I think the McKenzie Alexander signing in particular, for for what I didn't like about the value of Wayne's, I loved the signing of McKenzie Alexander and for the price. At his age, he's only 26, I believe, a one-year, $4 million deal, cheap, nothing you even have to worry about. Coming off uh, his best year, ascending, or at least feel that way. I feel like they got the Andrew Billings as the Browns signed him. I'm like, man, you know, good deal. You got a young guy that's just now coming into his own. I felt the same way about Mackenzie Alexander, and that's how I want to spend the second and third wave, especially once you get to the third. Third wave of free agency is getting these guys that may be better or maybe getting better, or you have the first right, basically, to extend them if they fit well with your team. So that's the positive side. I think that we're very encouraged by the way of business changing, by them attacking specific faults in their defense from the year prior, and with Xavier Suofilo potentially getting a guy that's a better scheme fit. If they saw what happened with Mixon's success late in the year and decided we just got to start pulling a bunch more, then maybe Xavier Suofilo is the right guy for the job. I think if that's the case, then it makes a lot of sense. Is interior offensive line still a need? Probably. Are the Bengals going to trade Billy Price to Dallas? Probably not. But, man, I would like another pick. We keep talking about it. I want more picks. And we're going to have to probably explore the ways they get there because we thought we might get a fourth rounder for Andy Dalton. We thought... Well, that's it. Is that part of free agency also? Not getting a pick for Dalton? No. Uh, no, I think that's I mean, just that's like the, bad luck or something. I don't know. That's cause... the open season. That's negotiating with other teams involved. I think there is some of that there. I just don't know if it should be classified. It would go in the negative bucket, but I don't know if it classifies as a free agent situation or move. So the worst case is they've missed out on a fourth, fifth round sandwich pick. Right. I, I don't even want to call it a fourth rounder because it's so. It's like it's in the hundreds. It's a comp fourth. I've been, I've been making sure I say it's a compensatory. Yeah, I know. I, I like the baseball terminology of sandwich picks, so picks that go between rounds, essentially, which is what compensatory picks are. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't get that worked up over that if they couldn't pull that off. The odds of that guy hitting pretty low anyway. But again, we talked about the flexibility that gives you, the ability to move back up, move out of the fourth round into the bottom of the third round. Uh. And, and this is the year where they're going to want more picks. So I we, we talked a little bit about the 33rd pick being a little bit scary. Uh, we don't know what they're going to do there because they have the history of trading back in the second round. And uh, that has bit them in the ass a couple times. So I, I feel like we'll talk about that one of these other days this week here. Yeah. Let's, let's finish on a positive note. They, they've got a direction here. We like that they are addressing specific things and they're spending money. Those are the changes. A lot of the changes we asked for is do business differently. And they're starting to do that. 
We'll talk about some of the ways they might be able to continue to do that in other podcasts in the future. But until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.